Hey everyone, welcome back to the Period Chats podcast. We are doing something a little different today. We have Sandy Chronic here and she's a CEO and co-founder of Happy Dirt. It is an organic wholesale and distribution company and we'll unpack what that means in a minute because you guys have been asking so many questions about organic food. And while I'm a dietitian, I'm not an expert in organic foods. I thought we would go straight to the source and kind of dive in, but Sandy, do you wanna introduce yourself first? Yeah, I'm so happy to be here, Kate. Thanks for having me on. Um, and I really know nothing. I mean, I know very little about nutrition and dietitian um, stuff. So I'm honored to be a part of this family of like incredible people that you've had on the podcast all along. Um, and I'm based in Durham, North Carolina. Um, and we started this company actually in 2004. It was kind of my first job straight out of undergrad was um, the idea to support local and organic farmers by building up more infrastructure so that they could just focus on their farm, focus on their soil, focus on their crops and their labor and everything else that makes farming a very complicated business. And then we kind of take the trucking, the transportation, the marketing, the packaging and all of that from there. So we've been around for a while and the company has evolved tremendously since then. Um, But essentially we're still doing what we meant to do, which is support farmers and help them see a future in farming for themselves and their families. Well, first off, congratulations, because, you know, 2004, you've made it so much further than most businesses ever make it just from like an entrepreneurial perspective and that you can reflect and be like, you know, we're still doing what we wanted to do. I don't think many companies can say that when you're this far ahead. Yeah, it's really beautiful. I feel so grateful literally every single day. I'm like, wow, I still my heart is so in this. It's so interesting and like rewarding and challenging and all of that. Um, yeah, and like we can talk another time about small businesses and resiliency and the emotional labor of, you know, I mean, there's there's so much about being a female entrepreneur, trying to do something totally different. Like, I think it took about 10 years for my family to even know how to describe what I did for a living. I'm sure similarly for you, it's like, how do we box this up into something that, I mean, talking to banks about how to loan us money and believe in our system? Whoa. But we can talk about organics for now, um, for sure. That is very accurate. And like, it's even just like explaining like, you know, some days it's like, all I want to talk about is work because I'm obsessed with it. And then some days it's like, honestly, I can't talk about this anymore. And I feel a lot of grace towards all people in my life and gratefulness towards them because it's constantly changing. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's a really fabulous journey to figure out how to make sure that you can love what you do every day. Like, that's beautiful. I would never take that for granted. And I would strongly recommend it to everybody. But then eventually you're going to have to learn healthy boundaries because if not, you're just going to be constantly chasing, especially, you know, when we're trying to do something good in the world. Like you, you can't not see a way to support or improve or get involved, try to help heal, whatever it might be. So, um, yeah, we got to figure out how to like take our breaks and rest and, um, do creative things that have nothing to do with our direct, you know, work in the world. Yeah. And it's interesting. And like, this is a little bit side change it, but I feel like everyone who listens likes kind of the behind the scenes. But mm-hmm. when you do own a business and you are trying to do something good, there is a meet in the middle of you have to have a business that runs and works and you have to have a business that is still good for people. And I feel like that's something we're constantly reassessing is like, are we delivering to our customers, to the people who follow us, to the people who are part of our community, are we still delivering that same mission we had in the beginning? And there have been times we've had to take a step back and be like, actually, we've gotten a little off course and we've got to come back to the middle. And 
we've been honest with our community. Like, you know, we're growing and learning too. So, I mean, inorgan- and we'll get back to organic. So inorganics, I feel like that would be something you guys are dealing with a lot. Could you start by just telling us, this is the biggest question I get as a dietitian and in our DMs about our products. Okay. What is organic? Amazing question. I do want to say that um, first to get back, like we, we went through a major rebrand in 2019 and 2020 and changed everything about our procurement principles and things like that. And I agree, staying true to your core is so important and it's, yes, everything. But also there's something really brave about like being watery through the process, being fluid, being open. Um, Like there's just so much, you know, so much to constantly be curious about. And I think that that's a really powerful part of female leadership is just kind of like embracing curiosity, openness, feedback, and like planting it in the soil and knowing that stronger, healthier things are yielded when we don't pretend that we know everything, which is a really big blessing of being a woman in the business world because everyone makes it clear to us that we don't know everything. So we come with that as an asset. Um, Anyhow, so to get to organics, um, yeah, I mean, my business, your business, it's very much about like everything I do really organic and regenerative every day. So it's really kind of easy to lean on some of these like four principles and say, how do we apply this into how we are approaching financing or HR or whatever it is that's coming up. Um, Organic is a word that's legally regulated through the government, federal government. Um, It started through the California Organic Production Act and then was um, adopted also at the federal level. So thank you, California, always for leading the way. Um, but it's essentially um, in the food and agriculture space, it's a single word that means that you are adhering to uh, hundreds of pages of regulatory um, work that is on one hand requiring an elimination of anything that's synthetic. So if it is synthetic, if it's not natural of an ingredient, an pure ingredient, then it actually has to go through a, a specific approval process So there is kind of a carve out list of synthetic items that could be allowable. And then every few years they come up and they're either going to automatically get sunsetted. That's the term that's used. It sunsets or it gets reapproved as an allowable input. Um, There are a small handful of non-synthetic natural items that are also not allowed. So there's that carve out as well. Um, But, you know, as a general practice, um, as a consumer in like a wholesale, you know, you go to the supermarket, what does this really mean? It means that there's a system of inspections that happens. There's a, um, a fee that happens. And there's a general commitment to uh, foundation of holistic practices, like crop rotation, like um, interplanting. I mean, there's a lot that we can get into about the production elements of what make organic work. But essentially, it's a lot easier, as if in our bodies, it's a lot easier to prevent problems than it is to treat the problems. It's a lot healthier to prevent the problems than treat them, because often when you have to treat them with intervention, there's other problems that come up because of the intervention and treatment. So organic is a incredibly large industry and very corporate, but the, the rule is based on a series of holistic principles. Um, that's very prevention oriented. So it's quite beautiful. There is a National Organic Standards Board that's still quite grassroots. I mean, obviously, like everything, there's a lot of problems um, and 
we in the industry have to work hard every single day to try to maintain the integrity of the word um, because consumer trust is everything in any business, but certainly with your business as well, we're building a, a following based on a level of trust that like, the you know, people are coming to organics because they um, often are coming from concerns, like from scary things, fear, guilt, shame, things that aren't like all rosins and, you know, salt baths. <laughs> and so it's really important that we are, you know, good caretakers of those principles. Um, and at the same time, we have to be constantly innovating, like diversity is the key to all happiness, success, abundance, et cetera. So we have to constantly be thinking about how we can continue to rebuild a system, especially with the changing climate, you know, very, you know, large stressors on our social and environmental and economic systems. Um, so we're needing to reinvent the wheel constantly, but we have to stay true to um, that trust, like you mentioned before, actually, in terms of um, that we're building. I mean, from our, for our business, um, we don't only work with organics. Um, we did for 14 years, and then we actually went through the rebrand because we wanted to help build more of an organic supply chain by building more trust-based relationships and non-adversarial relationships with farmers who aren't certified organic, kind of meet people where they are, maybe let them date us and, you know, get to know us before they want to take the plunge into organics. Um, but essentially, you know, it's key to make sure that we have a secure food supply. So figuring out how to do that dance and not be too boxed in, um, but also staying really, really true to what the word organic means is critical. Yeah, because I do think like even for me, like I didn't understand all that went into it. And I started doing research and I, for a long time. I was like, oh, organic, it's a BS certification. It doesn't matter. It's actually like the same as conventionally produced food. And like I, even though I knew better, believed that because I was like, I just want to buy the cheaper food. Mm -hmm. Totally. And I started buying all organic and I saw a big difference in taste and how I felt. And so I think the biggest thing we like I wondered was like, Okay, does that mean organic food isn't using any pesticides? So um, the word pesticide, like it's really lovely to be able to say pesticide free, but there are synthetic pesticides like garlic. I mean, you could spray garlic or, you know, probably what you use for your mosquito spray might be certified organic. It's still a pesticide. It's still going to, it's tempting to kill pests. So um, I generally try to say free of synthetic pesticides. Um, but it is a little tricky. I mean, it, it, it's so easy to just use the word pesticide, um, but there are there are organic pesticides out there. So no, I wouldn't say that just because yeah. I didn't create any confusion. What it is free of is synthetic inputs. There's a zero tolerance for genetically modified um, organisms. And there's a few things that like zero, zero tolerance on. But essentially, you know, pesticides, are a huge category of things and we have bugs and we use certain bugs to kill the other bugs and we use certain sprays to kill the bad bugs and um and those sprays are like neem oil or i mean there's a lot of different things but they come from natural sources and they have no synthetic ingredients in them technically they're still pesticides though that's interesting okay so that's where like a pesticide could be natural and maybe and like, I'm like way oversimplifying this. So feel free to like jump in and correct. I'm just like, I'd like talk through. So like with the synthetic pesticides, they would be bad 
for a lot of reasons, but mostly is like our body doesn't know how to process them because they're not natural. Well, that's definitely one reason. Another reason is that they tend to kill a lot of other life. And um, again, like, like our microbiomes and like everything else, we really need a diversity of, of biologic activity and microbiologic activity in the soil, on the tissue culture of the plants, et cetera. And so it doesn't serve us well to just kill everything. Um, then we have new problems and, you know, we lack our natural defenses and all of that. So that's why it's really important to like, you know, no farmer wants a gentle solution. I mean, farmers have enough problems. I'm telling you, our farmers, they really, you know, they've had it up to here with their, you know, their pests as well. But they know that there's a dance that's involved in working with, you know, the beneficial insects, working with crop rotation um, and things like that. And so, you know, you just have to kind of, you cannot be a successful organic farmer by substituting the prohibited pesticide for the allowable pesticide and that's it. Because it's still gonna A, cost you a ton. There's no way it'll be profitable and sustainable in that regard. But it also is just like, you're not embracing the prevention and the holism that's literally the fundamentals of organics. And I, you know, there's a lot of arguments. Um, I mean, the term regenerative is really big out there now, which is great. And it means something totally different than what organic does. But, um, but essentially, that's what regenerative is trying to point to is that, you know, if you're just organic, just meeting those requirements, you're still not really like leaving the planet a better place. And so, um, and in many ways, you could be doing damage because if you're just, you know, if you, if money is no object, then you might attempt to just follow this simple rule and, um, and might be like spending a ton of money and natural resources on something that you could do better. So, dang. okay, so that's like organic versus regenerative. And then some farms are doing both. Well, I mean, I, there are farms out there, you know, there's no, um, yet no great certification system for regenerative. So it's kind of this like open free sourced word that's out there. Um, like the word sustainable, you know, so it'll be interesting. I, I would say within 10 years, I won't be surprised if there is a regenerative certification program. Um, I don't think it's prohibitive, like, or mutually exclusive to be both organic and regenerative. But right now, I think people are kind of discovering what regenerative can mean for them and their operation. And they may or may not be organic along the way. Okay, interesting. And then when it comes to the organic certification, I know even like just from like my small business perspective, how expensive it is to get it. So for those mm -hmm. farmers, what does that look like? Because I think that's something like we're very disconnected from where our food comes from. And that's probably a whole other podcast that we could talk about. But, mm -hmm. you know, just like I think it's really helpful to have some background of like, what are the farmers actually having to go through to get these certifications? You know, is there a high cost involved? I would guess yes, based on just even the cost I would have to do to get certified organic. What does that look like for a farmer? Yeah, so I'm so glad you asked this. Um, I want to take a step back and make sure that I say this at least once because it's, it is helpful for people to understand that um, in order to be a certified organic farm, not a handler like you would be or, or a manufacturing facility, but in order to be a farm, you have to have, it has to have been three years 
that you've been operating under all the organic rules for three years from the last application of any prohibited substance. So if I am renting land or purchase land from someone who was growing, you know, conventional strawberries, I have to get them to, to sign legal documentation as to when they last applied a pesticide, a treated seed, like seeds that were treated with fungicide, even grass or whatever it is. If it wasn't organic grass seed, then that, that's when it gets dated and that's when my three-year clock starts. And so when we think about the cost of um, operating an organic farm, it's not just like how much are you spending on the organic pesticide versus the synthetic, you know, conventional pesticide, or how much more does it cost in labor because you're weeding a lot by hand instead of just spraying some herbicide or whatever. But we also have to think about the cost of operating for three years with all of those extra expenses and not getting the premium. So you're still having, like I could grow, um, I mean, here's an easy example, because I think that this tells the story of how we're very lucky where we are um, geographically and also what really helps to like spur an industry. So when I moved here in 2001, straight out of undergrad, um, I was quickly connected with the Santa Fe Natural Tobacco Company, which, which manufactures the American Spirit cigarettes. And there was a pool of farmers who were growing organic tobacco in New Mexico and a pool of farmers in the North Carolina, Virginia area that were all growing for this one company. And right then is when the natural organic program was becoming federally legislated. And so that was mandating a minimum of a three-year crop rotation. I mean, it's so funny to think that a federal government program actually requires you to like do crop rotation, which is really awesome and beautiful, but kind of hilarious. But you, you just want to think a government does this. But anyhow, um, in order for Santa Fe as an industry to get growers to grow organic tobacco for them, they helped all the farmers learn about organics and certification and production and connect with where they were going to get all their inputs from, fertilizers, et cetera. But they also then paid the organic price for three years, even though it was all sold into the conventional world. So they basically subsidized it as a private company, which is exactly what our government could and should do in order to create a larger stream of organic food so we can like prevent more cancer and all these things that our government winds up paying for along the way, not to mention all the trauma and stuff that comes up from all of these things. But um, so that three-year process is like incredibly expensive. And think about within any three-year window of your business, how many times you're like, am I really doing this? Why am I doing this? Well, Should like I keep doing this? So thinking about three years of having to take like a big discount basically and not yeah. being able to be profitable at all would be... Yeah. You make a huge investment and then you have all this extra work. So you're constantly like, am I, does this make sense? Like, should somebody hit me over the head? Like, why am I, you know, what is this? Is this really going to work? Like, it's really scary. There's so much about mental health in the farming community. I mean, it's such a dangerous career. It's one of the most dangerous um, careers in the country, actually. And it's generally quite isolated. Like, there's a lot going on there. So you have to really be, determined for three solid years. And then there's fee fees. So the fees can cost anywhere from like $500 to like 5,000 or more to get certified. And, um, and I really think that like, that's the, 
it's not easy to pay for, but there are federal programs to um, to cost share the certification fee itself. So I think that that's almost like the smallest hurdle. A larger hurdle besides the three-year transition period is also just the work that goes into the certification project. Like farmers are very well organized. Like uh, for me, one of the my favorite parts about the job is just finally knowing exactly how complicated it is to grow food. Like it, you have to, in order to be a farmer, you have to be like an architect, an engineer, a mechanic, an HR professional, a, you know, spreadsheet professional. Like there's, you have to be literally a jack or Jane of all trades. But then to go ahead, you know, you have no downtime ever. The, the winter downtime idea is like a total le- urban legend or urban myth or whatever. So you have to be able to like really commit to changing everything about how, not just you do your paperwork, but you do your operations. You have to train all of your staff to do everything differently. Frankly, when federal food safety legislation came on in the last, I don't know, 10 plus years, it was a lot easier for farmers to accept all of this because they were all like, we got it. Like no one wants more paperwork, but they're like, we know how to keep good records because organic farmers have been keeping good records the whole time. That's it. I mean, just hearing that, and that's not even like the whole process of farming. That's literally just the process of getting started organic. Totally. It makes sense why organic food is more expensive. Um, yeah. But the other question I have, anyone who's listening, who's like on the fence about investing, because I do look at buying organic food as an investment. And I know that it's not attainable for everyone. You know, like a fed human being and a fed family is a great family. But if you do think, if you're thinking about buying organic versus conventional, now you kind of have a greater understanding of what goes into it. And so instead of just being mad at the organic strawberries in the grocery store, it's an understanding. Do you have any tips for people of like ways to transition a little bit like in the beginning? Because I found it like I started with like berries and other things like that. Is there any tips for transitioning? And then my I have two questions actually. Tips for transitioning, sorry. And then two, like, is there a way to find these local farms like that may be in the process of transitioning and purchase from them? Man, wouldn't that be nice? So let's start with that. It's an easy thing. Um, There's no transitional like program that's out there. Dang, that'd be awesome. Yeah, it would be really fun. Um, We do some of that work along the way, but that's because ultimately what we are is a matchmaker. Everyone's like, oh, you're B2B. And I'm like, we're a matchmaker. You can call us whatever you want to call us, but like we're a bridge. And basically we're hooking people up in a relationship and we don't want the relationship to fail. So like, you know, I'm like, we're we're a talent agent for rock stars, whatever. But but yes. Um, So if anyone has the desire to do any of that, what I would do as an individual, like you just moved to a new place or you've been there living there forever, go to your local farmer's market and talk to people. I mean, that's why farmers go to farmer's markets It's because they're good at engaging with their customer. So there might be some, I mean, a lot of people make assumptions that if you sell at a farmer's market, you're organic. I definitely don't want anyone to get burned by that assumption. I think it's really important to ask questions without judgment. All farmers are amazing. If you're growing GMO con, I still think you're a hero. You're still feeding you know, us. I love to talk about how your family's doing and if you're really making money and like how you're feeling. Um, but it's, you know, I I use the term connection economy a lot. Like I'm a big believer in no matter what we're exchanging, what goods and services or whatever, like try to build a connection. 
because that's how the person, we're all going to feel more rewarded, financially rewarded, emotionally rewarded. There's going to be more longevity, durability, et cetera, to whatever you just invested in. So um, when you go to the market, like, how do you grow this? What, what cut, and don't say, are you organic or do you use chemicals or whatever? I mean, there's a lot of judgment that comes up. There's a lot of like divide between urban and rural. So I would just like help people to like be emotionally aware of where they're coming from and just check in like, hey, how do you fertilize? Like, what are your, what are your fertilization strategies? What are your biggest challenges as a farmer? Is it pests? And they'll say like, oh, it's the squash beetle kills me or whatever, you know, they'll be like very specific, but you know, oh, how do you deal with that? What do you do? Well, I spray this. Oh, okay. And then you can just go home and Google it. Or you can ask more about it. Like, where do you get that from? Oh, is that whatever. So asking questions is important. Um, most states in the U.S. have some kind of a nonprofit that is like a umbrella organization for organic farmers, gardeners, and consumers. And so many of them have websites that'll like, it's like a local food finder and will give you information on the internet about, you know, their production practices and things like that. Um, CSAs, are, I think, are still kicking, um, community-supported agriculture, wild ride in the last three years for sure. And I think that um, a lot of farms, including wholesale farms as well, build up their operations in the overwhelming demand that happened in COVID. Um, I mean, yeah, the stress that farmers endured in COVID was immense just because they wanted to feed people. Um, and nobody, nobody's showing up as much through CSAs and farmers markets as they were a couple of years ago. So I would say it's a really good time, even if you're just going to go once or twice in the season, like go spend money at a farmer's market to help farmers get through this. You know, like farmers should not be going through a boom and bust bull or whatever it's called about the stock market. Like farmers should be immune from that um, economic turmoil. But unfortunately, it's it's been a real challenge because they just were so sold out for like a hot minute and they wanted to do more and step up. And so um, through CSAs, I would say, is a really strong way to build a relationship. And probably those farmers, if, if I'm a farmer and I um, have a direct relationship with my consumers, I'm probably not going to get certified organic because I have a forum to communicate my production practices and I'm building trust and I'm empowering my customers and my community to ask me questions. So that's the best way to find farmers that are not certified organic and support them. Um, yeah, that's on that. As far as tips to dive in, um, I think, I mean, a big key is, I, I would say always to like consider the vitality of the food, right? So um, when you can find food from a local farmer, it's going to have just more energy in it. And, you know, the nutrients are going to be that much more active and everything like that. So I would actually support building those local food connections and asking the questions about, you know, how you fertilize, how you handle your biggest problems, whether it's disease, weeds, or pests, and go from there. Um, there are, I'm a big fan of the environmental working groups, Dirty Dozen list and Clean 15. And um, I don't necessarily like, I mean, look at it for work purposes, but for personal reasons, I kind of know by now, like, let's talk about the peel. You know, you can kind of be intuitive also about like, how susceptible you think something might be that you're eating. Um, but also I think a lot about soil and I think a lot about the personal health of the people working in the fields. And I know a fair amount of people who like 
you know, they're of, by, and for farm community. They're not talking negatively about conventional farmers, but they're like, I sprayed a lot in my youth and like, I don't want that for my family. And I mean, you'd love it. Like I actually have some farmers who maybe 10 years ago at an organic farming conference, we were walking down the buffet line and I'm like, oh, you know, farmer so-and-so like, oh, that's your kale. Like we supplied food for this event. That's your kale. And he was like, I've never had kale before. I was like, we've been buying thousands of cases of kale from you for a couple of years. He's like, yeah, but I just eat collards or whatever. So he ate kale that night, I remember. And like a year or two later, I was out on the farm. He had a Vitamix. I was like, oh my gosh, what are you doing with Vitamix? He's like, well, I freeze my strawberries in the season, in the spring. And I put organic muscadine grapes in there too, because those are super healthy, antioxidant, superfood, amazing. Um, and freeze those things in the season and mix them up with kale. He has literally like a superfood smoothie every morning for breakfast. And it's just like your taste buds change, your mind changes. It's all part of the same process. But I think that, um, you know, finding local food. And then I would think also about how you're going to use it. Like nobody should be wasting food. So if you're going to buy something that's going to sit in your fridge, like eggplant or whatever, because you're not really going to cook it or you're just cooking for yourself, you know, please don't spend the money on anything fresh. We want people to have like rewarding, meaningful experiences with fresh food, period. And, um, and then I would say that like, like personally, I know how much pesticides, conventional synthetic pesticides are sprayed on peanuts, for example. So if I'm at a hotel or wherever, I'm still not, I'm just not gonna have peanut butter. Peanut butter is one of those things and peanuts, my kids know, Nope. It's got to be organic. It could come from Costco for all I care. And that's a very affordable way to get organic peanut butter. And you still have to check even on organic items. Oh my gosh, they put palm oil in this. They put that. I mean, it's really annoying how discerning you have to be as a consumer and as a shopper. Like, oh, I'm, I'm sometimes I worry like how much I'm empowering or like annoying my children by being like, let's check the label. Let's check the label. But, um, but you really do need to you can't make assumptions like about anything. Um, I would say fruit, like berries, like you said, buy them frozen. You know, like if you're going to use them in a way that works for frozen, buy them frozen. They bag them and they process them in the peak of the season. Um, and so you're not paying for like the boat shipping in from Chile or whatever the, you know, the winter berries are coming from. Um, and other than that, I think a lot of people don't realize how much, like if you meal plan a little bit, just a little bit, um, you can rework the same thing. So get that butternut squash or whatever thing is that might be large and do the roasting or whatever. And then you can make it into like four different dishes over the course of 10 days um, and freeze some of it for the future. So yeah, I think it's kind of tricky. You got to find your favorite things. Um, I think everybody needs like, I mean, from what I've learned from nutritionists and dietitians that I follow, um, you know, you really always need some greens in your life. And, you know, we need to have more garlic and, um, and onions and things like that. And all of those things, I would definitely try to get organic and they're not as expensive as they used to be. Like the premium between organic kale and conventional kale or whatever it might be. Um, but again, you just got to make sure you're going to use it. If it's going to go to waste, don't buy it. Yeah. 
Those are all amazing tips. Um, I think it's like it's overwhelming. It's just like when you're trying to have, you know, clean out your cleaning products and switch from plastic to glass, like conventional to organic can feel overwhelming. But I think those are really great tips of like getting started and saving money because I don't care who you are. We all want to save money. We don't, you know, we want to have affordable, healthy food, but also keep our money in our pockets. I think those are amazing tips. Thank you for coming on here. And like, I know this isn't our usual format, but I do think organic is really important for hormone health. But I also think it's important for us to understand how much work goes into growing food just baseline, but then Mm -hmm. also like additionally growing organic food. So thank you for taking the time to share with us. Absolutely. I mean, I have to say you made it so easy and so fun for me to talk with my daughter about everything that you cover. So I just have loved like being in our same network a little bit. And I think there is so much overlap, actually, just the, you know, the level of awareness and mindfulness that leads to empowerment and making, you know, decisions like it's all about self-love and all that stuff. So it's exciting to be in network with you. And um, yeah, I'm happy to communicate with anyone if they have questions. Yeah. And I'll link your website and everything in the show notes so people can connect with you because I'm sure there's going to be a lot of follow-up questions. So we'll probably need to bring you back for that. But thank you so much for spending like your lunchtime with us. Absolutely. Yeah. It's great to talk with you. Have a good day.